Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at lesliemarshallshow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Good afternoon and happy Wednesday, October 19th. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. It's always great to be with you and especially exciting to come to you on debate night, the last debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And you can bet your bottom dollar that there's going to be some action tonight. Um, I think I just aged myself because the um, some of my team in the room started laughing at me. But that's all right <laughs> Because we know it's going to be a good time and we're excited about the conversation. We have some great guests who are joining us. I'll introduce my guest who's in studio in a second. But we'll be talking a little bit later about K-12 through education and how those issues are playing in the 2016 election. Um, you've heard, folks, that... The voting, the election is rigged. What are you talking about, Donald Trump? The election isn't rigged, but what's actually happening is we do have an issue when it comes to voter suppression and intimidation in this country. And we will talk about that a little bit later. And then obviously we'll do a quick preview of the debate. But, as always, here on the Leslie Marshall Show, we love to hear from you. So if you want to join in the conversation, go ahead and give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Or you can follow along on Twitter at Leslie Marshall. Or follow me on Twitter at Michelle with 1L Jawando. So let's get right into it. Um, So, uh, you know, many people who listen to the show... You know that I come to you live, usually three to four on Thursdays, but sometimes a little longer when um, Leslie is out and about. And I saw her earlier um, going toe-to-toe with someone on Fox (laughs) preparing for the debate tonight. Um, But my day job is vice president here at the Center for American Progress, doing a lot of cool, amazing work with some really talented colleagues. And one of those colleagues decided that he had a few few minutes on his schedule to join me today. And so I'm excited. Excited to welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show with Michelle Jawando, none other than John Halpin. John is the senior fellow here at the Center for American Progress, focusing on political theory, communications, and public opinion analysis. He's the Crow director and creator of the Progressive Studies program here at CAP, a project looking at the intellectual history, foundational principles, and the public understanding of progressivism. He is the co-author with our 
our founder and fearless leader, uh, John Podesta, of The Power of Progress, How America's Progressives Can Once Again Save Our Economy, Our Climate, and Our Country. John, welcome to the show. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me. So appreciate you being here. So let me set the frame uh, for our listeners. Uh, so, you know, we're having a conversation about the elections, um, about, you know, political analysts and talking heads and commentators. You hear them talking about um, a general demographic shifts, uh, trends in partisanship um, and the popularity of the sitting president and what that kind of means. But you recently completed a really interesting project on the path to 270, and I was just awestruck with some of the data. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what that project was? Sure, um, and thanks for having me on to talk about it. Um, my colleagues and I, Rui Tashir and Rob Griffin here at CAP, we we do a series of papers around the election that try and look at the fundamental demographic and geographical trends that are likely to influence the election. And we do this a year out before we have any actual candidates. That's um, good. <laughs> and uh, again, to look at the structural forces that are driving this. And then about a month before the voting, um, we released another version. And then we'll do one after the, the election to, to dissect what actually happened. And so in this round, you know, we actually do have two candidates. And we, we went, uh, you know, we wanted to examine <clears throat> outside of their campaigns and their messages, what are the forces that are likely to shape the election, the fundamentals, so to speak. And we do this in two ways. We look at um, we look at three categories of voter voters, understanding that you know everybody's unique and they have different opinions. Looking at data, opinion data, and, and demographic data, it's useful shorthand to to calculate electoral math this way. So one group is the combined uh, population or projected uh, vote share of, of voters of color, mm-hmm. uh, and then we have two categories of white voters: white college graduates and white non-college graduates. And we look at um, what was their vote share in the past? How is that likely projected to change uh, in 2016? Uh, and what do we know about their support level? So that's one part of this. Then obviously the other part is um, the Electoral College map, because we don't mm-hmm. have a straight uh, majoritarian election, obviously. Um, and, you know, people are talking, we can talk about this, that the map is expanded, but there are traditionally around 12 battleground states that most analysts look at. Um, and they cross... You know, the South, the Midwest, and, and, and the West. So it's Florida, North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Nevada, Colorado, and New Mexico that we look at. Um, and again, we're looking at what, are the, what is the likely projected vote share of each group mm-hmm. and support rates nationally and in each of these states. And when you add all this up, you can calculate the electoral math. And mm-hmm. um, when we did this, this was the we released this just after the first debate, uh, presidential debate, um, and the 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 overall percentage of the combined racial ethnic minority vote is projected by our estimates to go about two percent nationally. This means there has to be a two percent decline in the combined white vote, but this isn't distributed evenly. The mm-hmm. white college graduate vote is actually projected to go up about a point. Um, and and the white working class, white not college, is projected to go down by three. Um, when you actually look at what we know about the support rates here, all things indicate, or at least they did, and it's even more so now, um, a Democratic victory in, in November 8th. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is this? Well, if you look at the, the vote, what we know about um, the voting support of voters of color, um, 
the African-American support rate for the Democrats appears to remain quite high, not quite as high as it was for, for, the, for mm-hmm. President Obama, mm-hmm. uh, but still extraordinarily high. The real story here is how hard the, the Asian-American and Latino vote has shifted Democratic. Wow. And okay. some, some, um, some estimates are, are projecting the Latino vote for the Democrats to be as high as 80 percent, which wow. is above Obama. Um, and then just briefly, the other two categories, the real story on the white side uh, is is possibly um, a historic shift in the white college graduate vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, white college graduates traditionally vote Republican. Um, and what we're actually seeing now. White college grads typically vote Republican. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. I would t- I tend to think, you know, you go to, you know, I guess the argument that you often hear is you go to college and these liberal institutions and they're kind of infecting the minds of the next generation. So it's surprising to hear that. Well, it. Uh, whether that theory is correct or not, you're right in that it has shifted. But for most of the past 50 or 60 years we've looked at this, mm-hmm. the white college graduate pool was smaller and it tended mm-hmm. to skew upper income. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was tied to you know perceptions around taxes and things right, like that. Right. But now you have this wider pool of white college graduates, and they are more open on social cultural issues and even on economic issues. And so what we're seeing now is probably – Hillary winning the white college uh, graduate vote, which mm-hmm. hasn't happened in 60 years. Wow. So Obama also didn't. No, he did not. Win. No, he didn't. He, he so, lost them by about 11 points. Yeah. So this is like the first time in 60 years? Who was president? Um, this would go back to, I guess, Johnson, Johnson. I guess, back in wow. there. Yeah. So, okay. um, and then the other part of this is the white working class vote, which is, you know, is trending heavily towards Trump, mm-hmm. but not evenly. Um, there's a gigantic gender gap here, um, mm-hmm. where white. So this is white non-college. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's gonna it's gonna break heavily Trump. Uh, Trump's running everything mm-hmm. to maximize this group. Mm-hmm. Um, but the real story here, just briefly, is that he's severely underperforming what he would need to do to make up for the margins he's losing among other groups. Wow, wow. So when we come back now, we, we've started to unpack this, and I hope you'll call in because I have tons of questions. Um, and you can call into to 888 That's 888 But, John, when we come back... I also want to talk about, you know, looking at the data, we're hearing that there's the potential Democratic victory. But also, um, you know, there's been a lot of conversations about third parties this election and kind of where the millennials are. And so I want to add that when we come back, you're listening to Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be right back after the break. Life, liberty and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Good afternoon. 
afternoon and welcome back. Welcome back. This is the Leslie Marshall Show with Michelle Jawando coming to you live from our studios here in Washington, D.C. You can reach us at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Or you can find us on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle Jawando. Um, with Michelle with one L. Don't forget it. So, John, before the break, um, we started to go into a little bit kind of looking at the battleground states and and I want to delve into that Um, but I also want to ask this question about kind of the third party vote um, because you hear um, obviously there are different numbers when there's a head-to-head matchup but when you add in um, Johnson and Stein they seem like they're almost getting 10% of the vote which seems to me kind of high Mm -hmm. Um, what what did your work kind of demonstrate looking at third party this year well, it's a good point, Michelle. I mean, we're likely to see one of the higher third-party votes in um, in recent elections. Obviously, the the highest one in recent memory was was Perot back mm-hmm. in '92 and in '96. I mean, it's his '96 numbers are about where the Johnson Stein combined are, which is a down about nine percent now nationally. Um, and this plays out in different environments. So. Uh, third-party vote looks pretty strong in Colorado. There's been lots of talk about um, a candidate who's not even on all the ballots, mm-hmm. McMullen in Utah, mm-hmm. who's actually doing quite well along with the other candidates. Um, but, yeah, it looks to be reasonably high. Jill Stein's polling around 3% and has been consistently. Their numbers have trended up since the spring. Uh, there's clearly a pool of people, and there's about 6% undecided, who who are not happy with the two choices they have. Mm-hmm. And so a decent chunk of, of people will... Um, you know, may consider a third-party uh, candidate. Now, historically, these numbers tighten as the race gets nearer. So, you can you can imagine this nine percentage point will probably contract a little bit, and I, I bet Johnson's numbers drop drop a little bit in particular. Right, right. All right. So let's let's take a look at the states because I think that there are some familiar states that we often hear about: the Floridas, um, uh, North Carolina, which you know, for many of our listeners know, we often talk about here just because it has been in the center of so many issues from HB two um, regarding the um, discrimination against transgender individuals in that state or voting rights and literally the expansion of voting rights um, primarily due because we had a deadlock on the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the familiar states. But Arizona, um, you have, I think either this week, you have Michelle Obama, Chelsea Clinton and Bernie Sanders in Arizona. So what's going on there? Well, the numbers I mentioned nationally about the demographic shifts replicate um, themselves in in, in- particular environments and sometimes at even higher rates. And Arizona is a state that has been diversifying pretty rapidly, and the white vote appears not to be as reactionary as it can be in other places. Mm-hmm. So that's why it appears, based on polling averages, that, that Hillary's winning Arizona. Now, it's a narrow margin, and it could go the other way. But, um, you know, what the way that stands out is if you look that she's she's been behind in Iowa almost the whole race, a mm-hmm. state that Obama won, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, that state is not rapidly diversifying mm-hmm. in any kind of way. So you can see that the the emerging progressive demogra- demographic advantages are playing out in a place like Arizona quicker than we might have imagined with, with a candidate 
um, as historically bad in some ways as, as Trump. Right. Um, and motivating historically his own... bad. That was a such an artful way. To... <laughs> and I love it. John. <laughs> he seems to not want to win. I mean, he, he can't get above forty <laughs> nationally. That, that's not over. Obviously, right, there's right, a lot right. that can be done, but there there must be some other kind of strategy to get people there that we're mm -hmm. not seeing because mm -hmm. it's not showing up in any polling. Right. And you have to ask yourself. Does he actually really want to win, right? In some I, ways. Are you doing a, a psychological <laughs> profile? I can't answer that. I we'll have to. That's another good idea for a show. Thanks, John. You're giving me good segment topics here. So, you know, one of the the other states that to me I find quite interesting um, as as things continue to emerge, and I don't, I can't recall if it was on your list, but looking at both Georgia and Texas, hmm. I think those are also states. I remember even two years ago, we almost won and. I say we because for many of you, you know, I was a former Senate staffer for many years, so I still associate myself with the um, esteemed higher body. Um, but there was a great Senate race that almost uh, were successful for Dems mm -hmm. in the state of Georgia. Um, and then you have some people who are starting to get excited about Texas. Now, people have been talking about turning Texas blue for years, but it seems to be that, especially if you look at the uptick based on some of your data for the Latino and the Asian American communities, that that might actually be a reality, maybe not this year, but possibly soon. Yeah, I mean, there are two stories going on here. Georgia is a good one. The story there is primarily the increase in the African American vote. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it has been more competitive, and it's still leaning R right now. Right, right. But if you're going to put that... You know, in terms of demographic shifts, it's up there, mm -hmm. and, it, and, and it would be a likely target, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't be surprised if they push hard in Georgia. Mm -hmm. Texas, I mean, I, I mean, I don't think anybody honestly thinks Democrats are going to win Texas. Right, but, right. But uh, the numbers have narrowed, which, again, just I think shows you how poor of a candidate Trump is. I mm -hmm. mean, this mm -hmm. is a – the problem the, – the issue for the Democrats turning it blue – uh, turning Texas blue is that yes, they are there. There are Democratic-leaning constituencies like Latinos growing in large numbers there, uh, but they but the 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 they can't always vote in some cases mm -hmm. because of age or citizenship status, mm -hmm. uh, and the white population in Texas is notoriously conservative. So right, right, when right. you get you get some mix of white voters <laughs> along with voters of color, you get mm -hmm. progressive majorities. Texas mm -hmm. is one where the white vote is so lopsided. Yeah. Um, that it, it hasn't been happening, but you know, if 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 white Republicans are holding back from Trump, uh, maybe evangelicals who mm -hmm, are who are mm -hmm, offended by him mm -hmm. in some ways, you could see that you could see why Texas is is narrow. I can't imagine they'll they'll push. Right. I mean, it would be a head fake to go yeah. for Texas, but yeah, within you know a certain number. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard. It's hard to win there right, because of right. these these trends. Right. And right. So I would put Georgia and Arizona on the list before, before that. Before Texas. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're almost at the uh, bottom of the hour. Um, biggest surprise from your research that we should be watching heading into Election Day? I mean... You don't I, think people are talking about I don't think people... I, well, the big... I think the, the most... The biggest thing we see is the what's likely to be the the, mo the largest gender gap in U.S. history. Mm. So, well. I mean, you could have picked this out 15 years ago. You know, whatever um, uh, Hillary's drawbacks may be with some voters, this will be a hist another historic election on the Democratic side. There will be a surge of, of, of women voters for Hillary, and that is showing up in the data. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, coupled with, with Trump's sort of toxic 
misogyny in some ways mm-hmm. in his, his, his approach to these things, we're likely to see the largest gender gap ever. And this is playing out, I think, among the white non-college population as much as the white college one. And that's why he, cannot, he can't find enough white non-college men to win most of these places. So that's that's the most interesting thing. Super excited. Um, We'll definitely have to have you back. John Halpin, Senior Fellow here at the Center for American Progress. You're listening to Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be back talking about where education and school fall in this 2016 election. Thanks, and John, we'll see you again soon. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Good afternoon and welcome back on this Wednesday, October 19th. I'm excited to uh, coming to you live on debate night. This is the day of the last debate, much anticipated between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Um, and the, we're supposed to hear a number of issues this evening, Supreme Court, the economy, immigration. Um, but as we know, these debates have turned into something quite different. So I think we'll all be keeping an eye out and watching that. Um, I want to give a special thanks to our last uh, guest, John Halpin, who was uh, just fascinating information coming out of the two, uh, his Path to 270 report. And I know the thing I'll be looking for is, will women really show up overwhelmingly for Hillary Clinton? According to the data, they will. Um, and my fingers crossed it'll happen too. <laughs> so... I'm uh, happy to bring to the Leslie Marshall Show um, and listening our listening audience. And if you want to actually join in the conversation, give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. But I'm excited about our next guest because one issue that we haven't heard as much about this election cycle has been the constant stress and strain of balancing um, school and work schedules for the American people. Um, You know, I share quite candidly, you know, my husband and I, we have three amazing little girls, but there is the constant dance and logistics of how you manage work and manage school. Um, And it's fascinating to me that as a country, we're one of the few that have made the decision to kind of keep this decision um, and keep these challenges to ourselves as opposed to some of our other industrialized nation and friends. So I'm excited because joining us on the show is Ulrich Bozer. He is a senior fellow for K-12 through education here at the Center for American Progress. And I'm excited because we're going to talk about a recent report that his team released. Ulrich, welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show with Michelle Jawando. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor. Um, so, listen, you know, you know and I know, like, misaligned schools and work schedules um, constantly mean uh, that you're trying to figure things out. Um, according to some recent research that you put out, it seems like the average school is closed for 29 days during the school year. And that creates a need for parents to constantly scramble to figure out childcare. What made you start to look at this as an issue? And what were some of the really interesting findings that you found? 
really it stems from my own experience. Uh, mm-hmm. I have two daughters. and Oh, yay! We're in the daughter club together. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're, you've got one more than me, so you're probably more aware of this issue than I am. But, you know, schools, they end at 3 o'clock. There are all these uh, professional development days uh, that school is closed on. We found some schools in Pennsylvania that close for the start of hunting season or for parades. And, you know, my wife and I are lucky. We have a, a flexible schedule, but a lot of uh, middle-income and lower-income families aren't that, that lucky. And so we wanted to, to dig into this a little bit more, thinking through, you know, what do uh, these misaligned school schedules mean for, for working families? So, you know, what, you know, one of the numbers that um, your team released is that the average school is closed for 29 days. But that can definitely um, be, you know, higher depending on kind of what your school districts have happening there. Um, what were some of the other kind of interesting data points that you discovered doing some of this research? Well, just how ubiquitous this problem is, right? That, you know, for a lot of parents, we feel the pain of the struggle rushing uh, when our child is sick to get to school or uh, rushing or stressing out over a uh, parent-teacher conference day where schools are closed for, uh, you know, in some areas, you know, for two or three days. And so what we found is that, you know, this isn't just an inconvenience, but it also, you know, costs uh, you know, millions of, of, of dollars in, in lost productivity. It also means that a lot of women uh, aren't going into the, the workplace. So it's really important to keep in mind that this isn't just an, an added stress. It's a drag on our economy and, mm-hmm. you know, hurts working families. So you know, talk, and I think talk a little bit you know, about that. The, yeah. Well, there, you know, there's the numbers, but, you know, what's remarkable about it is that even the president, Barack Obama, uh, had to go up to his daughter's school for parent-teacher conference. <laughs> That's and, right. you know, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, I think my schedule is hectic, but I know for sure that his schedule is a lot more hectic. And I think we've long accepted that schools have these schedules and I never really thought about, you know, what are the ways that we can extend them. And I want to be, you know, very clear, this is not about, um, teachers now becoming, you know, daycare providers. It's not about teachers working extra hours without without money. It's really trying to say, okay, you know, what can we do to make schools uh, really work for families? How do they can they stay open till five? And we found a lot of schools were able to do that uh, with the money they currently have by you know, being creative, rethinking the, the school day and year. So I like the frame, you know, how can we do things differently? Um, uh, at, there's a, a ad campaign that's going around that's talking about how you think about high school differently and how you think about learning differently. And it seems to me that we've kind of, in some ways here in this country, been stuck a little bit in a rut and just been doing these same things and never asking the question why we have school ending at 3.30, but we continue our workday to 5 o'clock and how do you manage what that means. Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. And, you know, if your school ends at, at 3.30, you're, you're lucky in many areas. Uh, we found schools uh, around Maryland area, uh, as well as across the nation that, you know, are closing as early as, as, as 1.30, uh, mm-hmm. or some schools that open, um, you know, really early at, at 7 or 7.20 uh, as, as well. So what can we do about that? You know, we found schools around the country that are taking set these types of creative solutions. You know, one solution that we've seen um, is teachers working four days instead of five, but on those four days they work until five o'clock. So mm-hmm. 
Mm. They get a, a, a day off uh, to deal with appointments or uh, have a long weekend if they need. Um, but then the school is uh, open until 5, and uh, this is a community in, uh, in Queens, a, a low-poverty community, and the school then is really doing a lot more to meet that uh, community's need for the, the working families who live there. So one of the other interesting pieces that I thought um, you illustrated in the report that the misalignment of school and work schedules has a disparate impact on African-American and Hispanic families and, in addition, low-income working parents. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's something that you know we wanted to, to talk a lot about in this report because these inflexible schedules that schools have, you know, a lot of affluent families are either able to pay their way out of the situation or uh, they have flexible schedules uh, and they're able then to, to make it work by, you know, working a little bit extra at night or on the weekends. But if you're doing shift work, uh, if you're working in retail or the services industry, uh, people often aren't, aren't that lucky. They, you know, might not even uh, get their schedule un- until a few days ahead of time. And so, this type of scheduling where school ends at three with limited aftercare options, mm-hmm. uh, days off that, you know, aren't um, really supporting parents, you know, it, it, it really has a, a disparate impact. And there are different ways of doing things. We've seen a lot of schools now move away from parent-teacher conferences and move to home visits. Uh, mm. that allows uh, teachers to, to work around parent schedules and also right. make for a more, you know, intimate uh, setting to have conversations about your, your children and build that trust and relationship that we know is so important for kids. So, you know, we're, we're, we're having this conversation on the evening of the last, Demo- uh, not Democratic debate, the last debate between Democrat Hillary Clinton and Republican nominee uh, Donald Trump. What are you looking forward to hear this evening? Um, and how would you want candidates to address this issue? You know, for me, I think, you know, education is, is such a, a crucial issue. It hasn't been touched on in the debates so far. And I think we would hear a really strong contrast on a substantive issue between the vision of, of Hillary Clinton and the vision of, of, of Donald Trump. Um, Hillary Clinton has been very clear around uh, issues of student debt that she wants to make college free. She's been very clear about what she wants to do in the K-12 space to improve uh, and modernize the, the teaching workforce. And Donald Trump in this area has put forth a vision of you know, privatizing education. And, you know, what I'd like to see is, is a real honest debate that gives American people the, the choice between, I think, someone who's looking towards the future versus someone who uh, really has a, you know, I think a sexist and uh, short-sighted view of, of what America can be. That's right. If you're just joining us here on the Leslie Marshall Show, this is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm with my guest, Auric Bozer. He is a senior fellow for K-12 education here at the Center for American Progress. So, Auric, one of the things that I would love is a greater conversation. And, you know, we're both fortunate to work at a place that is is, is constantly trying to push our, our country in a more progressive direction, but also bring up issues um, that directly affect the American people and American families like child care and um, looking at issues like paid family medical leave and even this current issue about the misaligned school and work schedules. 
But how do we continue to kind of make these issues more resonant? I mean, we've done some interesting polling here and we found that every demographic group, men included, um, uh, care about these issues and feel like we should be doing more from a public policy standpoint. Um, if you look at even um, in African-American, Latino, single, white women, um, across the board, people want us to figure this out. But I, I just want more conversation so that it gives us the environment and the space to do that. Um, wh- how do you think we should be doing this? And, and what are some things that you're doing? Are you talking to Congress how how can we get more of the American people engaged on this issue? You know, I think showing that um, we can have reforms that work is going to be really important. I think people, uh, whether they're at home or, or listening in their car, you know, feel this stress themselves. Uh, their child is sick and they have to run and, and get to school. Uh, they have difficulty making ends meet because the cost of, of child care now uh, competes with the, the cost of, of college and so, you know, what are some direct ways that we can do to improve this? And I think, you know, in this report, we really tried to say, look, you know, we can, um, you know, make these schedules work better for parents without additional costs. Uh, I think you know, Secretary Clinton's plan on, on college and making college free um, is something that has clearly worked in other, in other nations, uh, in Europe, uh, for instance, and it is, is a great uh, economic engine and, and it's something that, we could all, all benefit for them. I think, you know, making these solutions concrete for people, uh, right, I think right, it's going right. to be really important. So, you know, Ulrich, we both have uh, young kids, and we're trying to figure out how we make this world a little bit better for them. Um, if I gave you the magic wand for the evening um, at the debate, what question do you ask of both of the candidates? Um, I would ask a, just a, a question about, about college. What are they doing to make college more affordable for students today? Uh, when I think about the future, I'm uh, fortunate to have young children, but when I think about the future and, and how I can pay for a, a good college education for my children without bankrupting myself, I, I'm, I'm, I live in, in fear. And, and mm-hmm. uh, friends of mine who are going through it, you know, you're looking at a tremendous rise in costs. What are we going to do to address that in ways uh, that get at the root of the problem and, and don't band-aid over it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I will tell you, I literally look at these three little people and I'm like, well, this is interesting. We're going to have to figure this one out. <laughs> and, you know, both my husband and I, uh, we're, we're fortunate. We have a two-income home and we're working as hard as we can. Um, but you think about that these are real challenges that people are, are trying to figure out. And um, when we're also in a country that has a retirement security issue, um, we've had some conversations colleagues from CAP on here talking about these issues, um, we got to figure out a way to like protect and bring more people into the middle class. And I think dealing head on with issues like childcare and paying for higher education and issues like uh, the misalignment of school and work schedules, I don't think people necessarily think about them as like bread and butter, like we have to figure this out. But to me, these are some of the most pressing issues of the day because, you know, you can't think about what's next for your retirement because you're thinking about your young people and your daughters right now. Yeah, I think that's exactly exactly right, Michelle. You know, when you talk to average Americans, though, this is sort of the, the stress. I mean, once you're able to uh, pay the rent 
mm-hmm. get some car payments in order. These are the things that you worry about. How are you going to provide for your kid's future? How are you going to provide for your own future? And you know, what can we then do uh, in Washington and in state capitals to really uh, tackle this issue in, in, a, in a meaningful way? I think you know, we're going to need to look at some reforms uh, mm-hmm. of systems, and I think we're also going to have to look uh, specifically at our tax system and make sure that everyone's paying their, their fair share. Well, have my fingers crossed that hopefully, hopefully here, we'll hear something about taxes this evening. Um, you know, it's fascinating. We've had three debates, and this, and we, these issues really haven't been as prominent. And, and that's not for lack of trying. I know Secretary Clinton has an extensive policy um, proposal that she's put forth on a number of these issues. Um, but unfortunately, some of the distraction continues to happen. But Ulrich, I appreciate your work and your leadership, um, and I'm hoping for your sake and my, and my sake we figured this out <laughs> and and we get this done so uh you are listening to the leslie marshall show with michelle jawando a special guest special thanks to my guest Ulrich bozer senior fellow for k-12 education we'll be right back after the break talking all things 2016 The Leslie Marshall Show with Michelle Jawando. Happy to have always Ellen Ratner. She's the Bureau Chief for Talk Media News on the line. Ellen, welcome to the show. And I think you're in Las Vegas for the debate. Is that correct? I am, just like Leslie. Like, I Leslie needs a little studio. I, I can use a cell phone. <laughs> I, saw, I saw Leslie earlier on one of the pieces. So tell us, give our listeners what's going on and what's happening right now. So this is what I think is going on. Listen, I think that each of the candidates has to make a choice. Trump has to decide, is he going to do his normal Trumpster kinds of things and go after his base and talk about how an election is rigged? Or is he going to try and be more presidential and move from the middle, uh, move more towards the middle to try and get that stay-at-home voter or the undecided voter? Hillary Clinton has to decide whether she's going to just talk to her base, which she already has. She, they've already decided to vote for her, so she doesn't really have to do that. Or is she going to go after Trump? Or is she going to kind of come off as a policy wonk? A lot of us think she's going to try and come off as a policy wonk and let uh, uh, Donald Trump just sort of stew in his own juice, so to just speak. Just kind of implode on himself. <laughs> so that's what we think is going to happen uh, on that front. Uh, now, as you know, WikiLeaks is releasing a whole lot more things, uh, but that does not seem to affect the Hillary voter. It the question is whether Trump is going to bring up any of the WikiLeaks material today. I wouldn't be surprised if he does. If he does, yeah. Well, we will all be paying um, quite a bit of attention on that. Um, what's the latest? We know foreign policy is one of the topics, and there's a lot happening in Mosul, Iraq. Do you have an update on that? Yes. Well, um, it's interesting because Mosul was a very predominant big city. I had a flat tire right outside of Mosul. What does that tell you? Um, and um, so actually it was Fallujah, it wasn't Mosul. But anyway, I know Mosul quite well. 
And what they're doing is they are putting all kinds, this is ISIS, ISIL, is putting all kinds of ways of stopping uh, by by putting landmines and et cetera, trying to stop the invasion by the Americans and many other people. Now it's being done by the Peshna Murdna, and it's also being done by the Iraqi military with American advisors. However, uh, they also have uh, trucks that can stop these kinds of things, that can field them out. So it's going to be a long battle. People are going to be in for it. We do know they've cut off the only road. Well, there's one road still out of the out of the area. It's heavily patrolled. But this is so that people who are fleeing ISIS-ISIL, who came in as fighters from Europe, etc., can't go back and cause trouble in Europe or go into Turkey, which, of course, Turkey is terrified of. And do we have a sense of how long the offensive is going to occur? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on on how long it takes to get the job done. But I think they believe that they can do the job, so we'll see what happens. All right. Well, Ellen, I mean, I think for sure we'll be paying attention to what's coming out of the debate tonight, and it'll be interesting to see if we actually do get to talk about some of these foreign incursions that we're dealing with right now. And like you said, are we going to see presidential Donald Trump or that other? guy. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ellen Ratner, Bureau Chief for Talk Media News. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be right back after the break. Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great being with you. That was a great last hour, and I'm excited because as we head into the home stretch, we are talking all things 2016. If you want to join in the conversation, go ahead and give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Or you can follow the conversation on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle with one L, Joando, J-W-A-N-D-O. Um, so I want to get right into it because there's a lot to talk about in this space. So for our regulars who um, listen and chime in on the Leslie Marshall show, um, you know that I frequently talk about voting rights. And that's because of very early in my career, that's where I spent my bread and butter, bed, bread and butter. It's the end of the day and I need some coffee. But, <laughs> um, but also that I have always grown up with a social justice kind of heart. Um, that's my family story. That's my story. But what has been so fascinating for me this election is that we have a billionaire or a self-proclaimed billionaire, because I think some people are like, Donald Trump, show me your receipts. I'm not sure if I believe you're a billionaire. But you have a self-proclaimed billionaire who is trailing in the polls. And because he is now trailing um, by not taking his message to the American people and not being able to articulate his vision and his policy platforms, is now saying that our election 
is rigged. And I'm excited because I have in studio two leaders in the voting rights movement um, who work on these issues across the country. So in studio with me, I am happy to have Marcia Johnson Blanco. She's the co-director of the Voting Rights Project at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. You can find her on Twitter at MFJ Blanco. Marcia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And super excited about this next guest who is out every single day looking at how we can create things. What's the common cause that unites us all? She's none other than Allegra Chapman. She's the Director of Voting and Elections at Common Cause. You can find her on Twitter at Chapman, C-H-A-P-M-A-N, Allegra, A-L-L-E-G-R-A. Welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show with Michelle Joando. Thanks so much, Michelle. Okay, ladies, so like we're up, okay? Everybody is talking about elections being rigged. I immediately, um, one of my colleagues and I, we put out a piece that like, no, no, no. What we need to do is we need to be vigilant about voter suppression because that, my friends, is real. And this voter fraud nonsense is a joke. But I'm hoping that that's starting to catch on. But what would you say, Marcia, you're at election protection every single day, headquarters, the numbers gone live. What's going on? Well, first, let me start by saying this conversation about election rigging is very distressing Mm -hmm. because what we need to focus on is making sure that every eligible voter can vote. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what election protection is focused on, educating voters, making sure they have the resources they need and having to spend time pushing back against politicians who rather than try to, you know, engage the public with their ideas, are denigrating our system of elections, it's just very problematic. Mm -hmm. And we are finding at the election protection hotline right now, it's voter registration deadlines are coming up. There are people who are trying to register to vote. There are people trying to get their absentee ballots. And there are challenges there that we should be focused on, Mm -hmm. ensuring that eligible voters can register without barriers or impediments. Um, Recently, yesterday, um, actually, we filed a case against Virginia because their online voter registration system went down on the last day of voter registration. Wow. So that's what we need to be focused on, not a phantom rigging of elections. So, Allegra, you know, you, um, Common Cause, I'm saying you because you are all things Common Cause, um, put out a really interesting report earlier looking at kind of millennials in the 2016 elections. But one of the things that I found fascinating about the report and then as we're dealing with this kind of vote rigging claim is that millennials pay attention to these issues and that's one of their motivators. Mm -hmm. But when you start talking about kind of these distressing things, as Marcia mentioned, is that going to turn them off Mm -hmm. from engaging and really having the turnout that we really need to see when we already know turnout is an issue in our country? I think that is an excellent point. Uh, and like Marcia said, like, you know, the real thing that we need to be looking at, you said this too, mm-hmm. Michelle, is looking at vote suppression. You mm-hmm. know, that's really the problem in this country right mm-hmm. now. And so all this rhetoric that we've been hearing about, you know, a rigged election, the system is rigged, everything's going to get hacked into, you know, um, people are engaging in voter fraud. That's sour grapes talk. You know, right, I mean, right. the, the, the facts just don't bear that out. That's the reality right. does not comport with this rhetoric. That's right. And we know this time and again, because studies have been conducted by independent groups that show that 
that this sort of a thing just does not happen. Mm -hmm. So when we hear politicians, you know, use this kind of like rigged rhetoric, I'm I'm really the aim is to keep people away from Mm -hmm. the polls. And unfortunately, sometimes it works. People, especially if they're not, you know, like habitual voters, you know, people who I mean, you know, you like were sort of like born and bred into this sort of like political zeitgeist, right? But not everybody is that way in this country. And so whenever we do hear talk about like, you know, the negativity in politics, the potential rigging, it just makes people say, you know what, forget it. Yeah. Like, I I want to stay home. I don't want to be a part of this. You know, it's kind of an ugly system. And so then it actually that kind of rhetoric becomes effective. Mm -hmm. That's where we need to push back as reformers, as advocates, as responsible elected officials, Mm -hmm. you know, as responsible politicians. What we instead need to be doing is using the language of engagement, Mm. right? I mean, because at the end of the day, we do. We do still have a turnout problem in this country. I mean, think about, you know, our highest turnout during an historic election for 2008, right? You know, when President Obama was on the ticket. That, of course, is going to draw newer numbers. But um, even so, that was we had 60 percent. So imagine a country. A historic election. An right, historic right, election. Right. Imagine an election in which 80, 90, 100% of eligible voters are showing up, participating, and then regularly doing so. You know, it would be night and day. It would be a complete, and our public policy, the debates that we're having would be fundamentally different. Um, Something that you said made me want to make sure I get this out. So President Obama recently said that the Republican nominee should, quote, Stop whining (laughs) about a rigged election and focus on the voters. Um, And it got me thinking, you know, do we need to hear more from other politicians Mm -hmm. being vocal, whether it's the secretary of state? I mean, even, you know, Republican committee men working in state borders of elections, they can't think that this is good for voters to kind of walk in on Election Day and feel like, hey, something's up with the system. And and in an election cycle where we're actually being hacked by Russians like we're, that's not a misnomer that's not just a statement um, that's happening you know that creates some unease for voters should we be expecting to see more Marcia yes and I think some have started speaking out um, against this concept or um, this idea that elections are rigged and I you know one of the things that's really interesting is you look at who is in charge of elections mm-hmm. in the states those are generally secretaries of states for the mm-hmm. most part. Mm-hmm. And if you look at what party most of the majority of secretary of states belong to in this country, it's the same party as the nom- the candidate who is saying that the system yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is rigged. Yeah. And so they need to speak mm. out because... The integrity, I mean, this gets to the heart of our democracy, right? This is undermining the ability for people to go and have their voices heard. And we can't have rhetoric that's chilling Mm -hmm. the uh, engagement in our democracy. Not only, you know, as Allegra was saying, our highest turnout was a 60-something percent turnout, but we're coming on a presidential election after having the lowest turnout in 72 years during a midterm. And so what we need to do is encouraging people to have a voice and participate, not 
taking the, I guess, what the easy way out and saying, oh, don't go to the polls and, and right. discouraging people right. from participating because this is the time when the people's voices, this is our opportunity for our voices to be heard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're going to get ready to uh, go to a quick break. But when we come back, I kind of want to dive into that a bit. You know, Marcia pointing out the fact that most of the leadership in many of these states are Republicans. Um, but yet there's an integrity that they want to be able to say that, like, at least I'm making this system work for everyone coming on Election Day and how we can make sure that message mm-hmm. gets out and overcomes this nonsense that we're talking about and dealing with right now. So we uh, we are going to take a quick break. This is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show in studio with Marcia Johnson Blanco and Allegra Chapman. We'll be right back after this brief break. <laughs> And welcome back. This is the Leslie Marshall Show with Michelle Jawando. I got to remember my own name. And if you want to call and remember my last name, you can go ahead and do so. And that number is 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. I'm back in studio with my guest, Marcia Johnson Blanco from the Lawyers Committee. You can find her on Twitter at MFJ Blanco, B-L-A-N-C-O. And Allegra Chapman of Common Cause. You can find her on Twitter at Chapman, C-H-A-P-M-A-N, Allegra, A-L-L-G-R-A. So, you know, before the break, I started talking about um, uh, President Obama talking about the election 2016, and I think we have a quick clip, so let's go to that now, guys. The notion that somehow if Mr. Trump loses Florida, it's because of those people that you have to watch out for, that is both irresponsible and by the way doesn't really show the kind of leadership and toughness that you'd want out of a president if you start whining before the game's even over <laughs> if, if whenever things are going badly for you and you lose you start blaming somebody else then you don't have what it takes to be in this job that's right and so uh, I'd advise Mr. Trump to stop whining and go try to make his case to get votes. <laughs> and if I'm, he got the most votes, then it would be my expectation of Hillary Clinton to offer a gracious concession speech and pledge to work with him in order to make sure that the American people benefit from an effective government. And it would be my job to welcome Mr. Trump, regardless of what he said about me or my differences with him on my opinions and escort him over to the capital in which there would be a peaceful transfer of power that's what americans do that's why america's already great that's right come on barack obama he was he was preaching on that one <laughs> um, it's so funny because you can tell he's kind of at the stage where he's being a little more candid <laughs> and honest here. So, you know, Marcia, I want to make sure that you get out the number to the Election Protection Coalition, um, something I've been involved with for the last 10 years. I'm so proud to see where it's grown compared to where we I remember just being in these horrible little rooms. We were just making stuff up on the fly. <laughs> um, but it's real, a real sophisticated program right now um and then we're going to take a caller from virginia who has a really good question so why don't you give listeners um that information 
Thanks for the opportunity. Yes, so the Election Protection Program is the nation's largest nonpartisan voter protection program, and it consists of a suite of hotlines, including the 866-hour vote hotline. And if anyone has any questions between now and Election Day or any problems voting on Election Day, please call 866-HOUR-VOTE, mm -hmm. and we have trained volunteers who are there to provide assistance. So Ishmael from Virginia had a great question. Ishmael, we'll take your question for 30 seconds. Hello, ladies. Thank you so much. Uh, that's one of my favorite clips. Don't whine before the game starts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry using that. Uh, I just have a quick question. These, uh, I know Trump called for a lot of people to be a poll observers do they have to register do they have any authority and what do you do if you get confronted by the so-called poll monitors mm -hmm. excellent question my brother excellent question allegra marcia do you want to jump in and take that sure yeah so yeah great question and it's something that we really all need to be on the lookout for come election day mm -hmm. um you know what we have heard trump and others say is um you know i want uh my supporters i want voters to go down he, he he's mentioned a few states but one in particular was i want people to go down to pennsylvania in quote unquote certain areas mm -hmm. and watch that people don't vote three five ten times etc now, first of all, I think we all know what he means when he says certain areas, yep. right? It's low-income uh, communities of color, typically. And, um, you know, this is really um, kind of a call for vigilantism, and it's dog-whistle politics at and its, its worst. worst. That's for sure. Um, and so, you know, it is it is worrisome, and that's why I'm so grateful for, protect, for programs like Election Protection, because that really is a way for voters across the country to really feel empowered you know it's mm -hmm. like you're trained you have mm -hmm. the knowledge you know what's in what's out what's permitted what's not and you get to be the eyes and ears on the ground mm -hmm. for americans across the country calling out inappropriate impermissible behavior as it happens mm -hmm. um and so you know it's a great program to do that but i think people also need to be on the alert you know each state kind of has a different set of laws when it comes to right. what kind of challenge is permitted and what isn't pennsylvania unfortunately maybe that's why the call has been made to go to that state really places the burden on the voter instead of the challenger so mm -hmm. in pennsylvania if you get challenged by a registered voter and there's like a long list of people who can actually conduct these challenges then the burden is really on you to bring somebody who knows you, another registered voter in that precinct to verify for your identity and your eligibility. I don't know about you, but I don't go to vote with my mommy. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like people really have to or be my neighbor. or your yeah, neighbor. It's yeah. like people are going in. You know, it's like you're. People get have jobs, get in. you've got right. child care, you've got school, you got to get in, get out. Mm -hmm. So it's really frustrating when you hear, you know, um, this kind of rhetoric. But I do, I do encourage people to really kind of inform yourselves. Again, mm -hmm. it's like if you have questions as to what is or isn't allowed, you know, call the hotline. 866-OUR-VOTE. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know. Just uh, be on the lookout for others as well and participate, you know, volunteer. It's really an act of, uh, of civic duty and something that I think really makes you feel connected to the rest of your community yeah. as well. Marcia, I'm giving yeah. you the last 30 seconds. How do we prepare? What, and let's answer Ishmael's question. Right. I would also add alert your poll worker because we've been having conversations with election officials about mm -hmm. being prepared for unwarranted challenges and mm -hmm. so they should be able to put a stop to that mm -hmm. right away and also have a voter plan make sure that you 
know, verify your voter registration, mm-hmm. know where you're supposed mm-hmm. to go to vote. And so you're ready mm-hmm. to push back mm-hmm. against that. You can go to IWillVote.com, 866-R-VOTE, voy y vota all of these resources, they are available. They are out there. Allegra and Marcia, I thank you for being in the trenches every single day doing this work. The American people thank you too. But And they would give you a hug like I do, but <laughs> I'll, I'll substitute. Right, you're, you're listening to Michelle Jawanda on the Leslie Marshall Show. When we come back, we'll do a preview of the debate with Carmen Berkeley from AFL-CIO, Eric from Media Matters, and Preston Mitchell. Thank you for listening to the Leslie Marshall Show with Michelle Jawanda. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. Welcome back. Good afternoon. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you. And many thanks to our guests from last segment, Marcia and Allegra, out there on the front lines. And again, if you have any questions, um, thank you so much, Ishmael, for calling. You can go ahead and call the nonpartisan toll-free number 866-HOUR-VOTE. Well, I'm excited because we're going to have a little fun at the end of the day. Um, I have uh, two friends in studio, um, one on the phone, which back in the day, your grandma would say were your cut-up buddies. Um, so these are the people who you tend to get in trouble with. However, uh, these are good trouble kind of friends. And so I'm excited to have in studio with me right now, Carmen Berkeley. She's the Director of Civil and Human and Women's Rights at the AFL-CIO. She joins us in studio. You can find her on Twitter at Carmen, C-A-R-M-E-N spin, S-P-I-N N-D-I-E-G-O. Carmen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Michelle. (laughs) Also joining me in studio is none other than Preston Preston Mitchum. He is a policy research analyst at the Center for Health and Gender Equity. He's an author at TheRoot.com and a constant uh, source of, I would say, agitation for progressives to make sure they do the right thing. You can find him on Twitter at Preston, P-R-E-S-T-O-N, Mitchum, M-I-T-C-H-U-M. Preston, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. And last but definitely not least, none other than Eric Bollert. He is a senior fellow at Media Matters. You can find him on Twitter at Eric, E-R-I-C-B-O-E-H-L-E-R-T. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks so much. All right, so guys, let's get into it. We're a few hours, T9, I don't, I don't quite know the T9. T9 a couple hours. But yeah, T9 a couple hours <laughs> before the last debate, um, last debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. So Eric, I'll start with you. What are you most looking for or what do you anticipate? Do you, do you anticipate stalking on stage again? I mean, wh- what are you paying attention to for tonight? Oh, uh, it's, I don't know. I mean, what do you expect, right? <laughs> so we're, we're, we're in the unshackled Trump era, right? And so <laughs> that was going to be his big coming out at the last debate. I don't care. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to act like I did at the Republican primary where I called Marco, little Marco, and I used to make fun of Jeb. You know, that's what people like. That's what right. got me where I am, me being this obnoxious jerk. So I'm going to kind of prowl around the stage and interrupt Hillary Clinton. And it'll be great. Well, it wasn't great. You know, <laughs> uh, according to the CNN snap poll, he lost the debate by 20 points. He is now consistently 
losing by 8, 10, 12. There was a poll today where Hillary's up 15 points. I mean, I, a lot of my friends have been saying, well, why is she only up by 4? Why is she only up by 5? People don't, a lot of people don't really understand how polarized the country is. I mean, Obama trounced John McCain, and Obama won by seven points. Mm-hmm. Bill Clinton beat Bob Dole by nine points. I mean, I don't know if this lead is going to hold the way it is now. If it did, Democrats would be looking at their biggest win since LBJ. So what happens tonight probably doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Trump campaign campaign has completely imploded. I suspect she'll probably ignore most of his thrusts and parries and, and try to talk about what voters want to hear. Mm-hmm. I assume it'll be amusing and uh, just from his perspective, and I assume he'll say things that um, make most people cringe. <laughs> Preston, what are you looking out for? Um, so I'm finally looking for Donald Trump to say something that's accurate, mm. something along <laughs> oh, the truth. way. I know that's oh, okay. I, I know that's a hard <laughs> thing for him to do. He never seems to do it, um, unless he's talking about him committing sexual assault, of course. Mm. But uh, what I'm looking tonight actually is a policy focus over personality. Mm. I mean, I think we've already established they've already established their personalities. We already know who they are for the most part, and unfortunately who they are for the most part. Um, but what I really want is a is a policy-driven conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm really interested to know what the moderator is going to talk about tonight, too. This moderator, I'm not the biggest fan of. Um, mm-hmm. I know he's made statements even earlier today or yesterday about like how his job is not to be like a fact-checker. His mm-hmm. job is really to kind of be a timekeeper. And I'm mm-hmm. like, actually, that's not your <laughs> job. Um, it's part of your job, but your job is to actually have a conversation about right. people's lies right. and whether they're telling the truth about immigration and debt and entitlement, but mm-hmm. I'm actually really looking for a policy-driven debate over personality mm-hmm. tonight. And what issue would you want to hear, you know, if you had your magic ball right. um, and you, or you had the magic wand or you're in the moderator chair, what issue would you want to hear? Um, I want to hear an actual conversation about immigration that doesn't uh, involve mm. uh, Trump calling Mexicans rapists. Mm. Um, I really want to hear a policing conversation about black people that actually get to the hardcore issues of policing and how mm. to solve uh, violence against black people um, by law enforcement officials. So that's for me. Yeah, I know that's yeah. a stretch since anytime anything with blackness comes up, cops is the only statement that people seem to know. <laughs> um, but those are the two issues I'm really looking forward to. Right. Oh, and the Supreme Court. And the Supreme, Supreme Court. Supreme Court, I Yay. really, 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 because we have not had a new justice replace Glee in eight months now. Right. So um, I really would love to hear um, what the what the candidates have to say about, about SCOTUS nominees. Carmen. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I'm looking for jobs, jobs, jobs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I say that because I, I think know... that was a destiny show. I so. mean, <laughs> can you pay my job? No, I'm just <laughs> um, But for real, though, I mean, I know that the unemployment numbers are lower, you know, unemployment numbers for the nation and, you know, African-Americans, which is always higher than mm-hmm. the nation, are lower. But to me, I still know a lot of people that, you know, they might have a job, but they're underemployed. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at wages, America hasn't gotten a raise um, mm-hmm. since, like, before the recession. Mm-hmm. And so... Mm-hmm. So to me, you know, when I'm out um, talking to folks in the field in Pennsylvania and Ohio, you know, one of the reasons why folks are motivated to, I mean, I've been on the phones. I'm supposed to be at a phone bank right now calling right. into Pennsylvania That's and Ohio. Right. That's right. And so when I'm talking to folks. We have Pennsylvanians in Ohio yeah, and, and listening. And you know what? And I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I'm best, from Youngstown, Ohio. But hey, get it. Okay. We battleground babies. But, you know, I think for me, what we're hearing from folks is, okay, well, either I don't have a job and mm-hmm. I'm not really seeing a pathway forward. I mm-hmm. hope that Secretary Clinton talks about her infrastructure plan. We've heard multiple times that, you know, in her first 100 days of an administration, that she'd want to put out a comprehensive.
comprehensive infrastructure plan and for us in the labor movement that does equal jobs Um, but I also want to hear you know especially for as a a young black activist I want to hear how we're going to make sure that you know people like me and I'm assuming Preston you know I'm, I'm I'm drowning in debt Mm-hmm. And I feel really blessed that I have an amazing job, but I know a lot of my peers who are underemployed. They're working um, part-time jobs. They're working, you know, for for Lyft or Uber or something like that, or at a restaurant. And I want to understand what are we doing with this eighty, ninety thousand dollars in student loan debt? How are we going to make sure that people are actually able to put food on the table, pay their loans, and buy a home? Because housing is like totally off the chain right now. Right. Yes. Right. And right. but you can't pay for any of that if you ain't got a good job. Yes. Right. Um, so let's take a quick caller, Michael from the Bronx. You're on the Leslie Marshall Show with Michelle Jawando. Hello, everyone. What I'd like to see here at tonight's debate, we have seen and heard about Trump's um, sexual assault towards women, his boasting about it. That is a crime, uh, sexual assault. And um, purporting or proposing violence towards um, all of Hillary's supporters or and or his opponents in the event leading up to the election, even afterwards. That is also a crime. Yeah. I do not care how much money he or Giuliani has or their names. No one's above the law, and I want some discussion about any arrests and prosecutions, including those two. Uh, Michael, I so appreciate huh. you calling in. Preston, I mean, you kind of alluded to that with your earlier statement. Like, listen, we, we've heard about it, but there's been actually no accountability for some of his actions, or it seems to be. Absolutely. I think one of the things that's frustrated me the most lately with the sexual assault conversation um, has been kind of this dismissal of it actually being sexual assault. Mm. Uh, the other week, Angela Rye uh, was on TV actually discussing, and, and, and it's sad what she had to do, but she had to actually be very rudimentary and explain explain the definition of sexual assault and why Trump is committing acts of sexual assault or has committed acts of sexual assault on women. Uh, part of my job, what I do is advocate on behalf of women and girls in sub-Saharan Africa, but we also know that sexual assault and gender-based violence happens a lot domestically, too. So one of the most frustrating things about this conversation has been that it's just been words. Trump is just making words. But in fact, when he had the conversation about it, what he said was, it is easy to do these acts if you are someone of my caliber, yeah. if you're in my position. Yeah. Um, the infamous P word that he used so proudly, obviously, and that is repeated many times uh, lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say about that is I really am glad for this question and for this statement because um, sexual assault needs to be talked about. I think one of the things that makes me a little nervous about Chris Wallace moderating tonight is is I think one thing he's going to do is create false equivalences of of, of Trump and of Secretary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I say that is because one of the things that he wanted to discuss tonight was fitness to be president. Right, um, right And so right. it's kind of like the things that you're going to discuss for the fitness to be president of either Donald Trump or Secretary Clinton are light years apart. Yeah. But the way the questions can be drawn can easily make them sound like they're similar candidates mm-hmm. and we all know they're not. Yeah. Um, so sexual assault hopefully will be talked about. And I, I absolutely definitely agree about um, about prosecution. I am a lawyer. So one of the things that I'm not is pro-prosecution unless it comes to things like sexual assault and gender-based violence. So, um, yeah, I, I cannot agree more, and I really do hope it's brought up tonight. So we're going to head to break really quick, quickly, but, Eric, when we come back from the break, I want to hear from you on what are the topics that aren't going to make the debate stage tonight, and we owe it to the American people to be, do better. This is Michelle Jawando, The Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be right back after the break. This is 
Michelle Delando on the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm back in studio with Carmen Berkeley at the AFL-CIO at Carmen Spindiego, uh, Preston Mitchell, Preston Mitchum at Preston Mitchum, and Eric Bollert. Uh, you can find him at Eric, B-O-E-H-L-E-R-T. So, Eric, before the break, um, you know, I wanted to get into, you know, we know that Trump is going to be, as you, in your words, we're in the unshackled Trump era, um, but there are a number of issues and I think one of the things that's been so unfortunate about where we have been over the course of this campaign is we haven't talked about as many issues as we needed to get out so if I gave you the magic wand you're in the Chris Wallace moderator seat tonight what are you talking about what question are you giving to Donald Trump or maybe even Hillary Clinton well you know one of the issues that just has been uh, ignored the entire campaign season not just general election the primaries is of course climate change. That's right. I mean, we've we've had dozens of uh, debates and virtually no discussion yeah. about this very very pressing issue. Uh, you know, also you know the issue of uh, transgender equality. You know, mm-hmm. hasn't been discussed in the two debates. You know, obviously there's this roiling debate sparked by Republicans trying to, you know, uh, introduce these so-called bathroom bills across the country. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that should obviously be up for discussion. But you know. You know, one of the quest- the problems and the concerns with Chris Wallace, right, first Fox News anchor to ever host a debate, uh, the, the un- unfortunate timing, <laughs> I mean, he's asked to moderate a debate where a central topic should be sexual harassment, should be sexual uh, predator behavior, and his former beloved boss, Roger Ailes, <laughs> just got thrown out at Fox News for doing exactly, essentially, what Trump is being accused of. I mean, Chris Wallace has talked about how he loves Roger Ailes, best boss he ever had. Mm-hmm. Is is he going to be pressing Trump on this very, you know, embarrassing issue, not only for Trump, but it's an embarrassing issue for Fox News? Mm-hmm. I, I have my suspicions that he's going to make that uh, a central issue tonight, but we'll see. Yeah. Preston, what issues are you think what do you think will be missing? And, you know, Elise from Richmond and uh, just sent in on one of the lines that the issue she'd like to see talked about is how Trump's rhetoric around um, building a wall will alienate minority view- voters. Um, and you've you know, you started your comments talking about immigration as something that we need to make sure that we hear about. And hopefully it's supposed to be one of the debate topics. But what are some other issues that you think are missing? I think my hope is that we'll talk substantively about the Supreme Court. I'm with you on that one. But what else you think is missing? Um, so I do think so. One sexual assault. I don't. I don't see it coming up as much for many reasons that was already stated. Um, and it is really interesting, even when I think of sexual assault and what um, specifically has happened with a former boss being fired. And I'm like, okay, certainly this moderator is not going to press that issue, um, particularly with him being from Fox News. And if he did, I'll be pleasantly surprised. But I just don't think I'm going to be too shocked tonight. The Supreme Court is one issue that I really don't want it to be an asterisk tonight. I mm-hmm. actually really want a full conversation on the on just the problematic nature of Senate Judiciary Committee not doing their job mm-hmm. um, and, and the fact of t- today someone actually um, I can't recall who it was I believe 
I can't maybe it was John McCain or maybe not, but um, I, I do know for sure someone specifically noted that they were going to continue to block nominations. Oh, yeah, that was that was McCain. Senator John McCain. So, yes. Yeah, just yeah. so all of our listeners yeah. in Arizona know, yeah, that was John McCain. Correct. Yeah, so, yeah, so who made who specifically <laughs> said that they were going to continue to block nominations mm-hmm. if Hillary or mm-hmm. excuse me, if Secretary Clinton is mm-hmm. is going to be the president. And I'm, you know, and so it really frustrates me when we think about obstructionism, when we think about democracy. And it's like the fact that that's even permissible, that that's mm. something that our constitution does not prohibit um, it is a danger and is very problematic to our democracy. Um, immigration is also an issue that I do think we should talk a little bit more about tonight. <clears throat> a little bit more than the wall that apparently Trump is going to have Mexico pay for, which I'm not really even sure if he understands how that works. But um, but I really want to have a conversation of what immigration policies look like. <clears throat> Pardon me. What immigration policies look like, what relations, what border looks like, um, what protection looks like, what voting looks like. I also want to have a conversation about voting rights, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. A, a, a real conversation about voting rights and, and really um, and, and talk about Section 5 and what that means for our democracy and people who are have been disfranchised for years from voting. Um, there are many issues that I really want to um, the candidates to discuss tonight. I don't think they're going to all happen. Yep. Um, and I really think just because we can't escape controversy, and I think that that means that we we will have to focus on personalities over foreign policy. Um, first election in nearly 50 years, we won't have the protections of the Voting Rights Act for a presidential. I mean, this is a big deal, <laughs> and that has ramifications. And you're right, we haven't been talking about it. All right, you got the magic wand, Carmen Berkeley. I mean, you know, for me, I, I feel like our, all of the conversations around criminal justice reform have been mm-hmm. inadequate. It is not mm-hmm. clear to me um, how we are going to reverse some of the, 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 the sentencing laws, how we're going to make sure that, you know, African Americans and Latinos are not being overcriminalized, and I think the what I know is probably not going to come up. And Preston alluded to this. Every time we talk about um, policing or criminal justice reform, it's always from this, you know, FOP, All Lives Matter mm-hmm. perspective. And just yesterday, the International Association of, of, of Chiefs of Police um, issued an apology for the historic um, mistreatment of people of color. And so I think right. that you know you've actually got law enforcement um, arguing with each other and with themselves about how people. Of of color being treated. But let me tell you something. Last week, I was at the new African-American Smithsonian mm. right here in Washington, D.C. It is not a secret that there have been law enforcement that have abused that power, that have beaten and killed um, and, and really hurt the African-American and Latino and other communities. And so for me, I would love to hear, you know, not just law and order candidate <laughs> or even I don't even want to just hear Black Lives Matter. I want to understand how are we going to outside of just implicit bias training? Mm. How are we going to make sure that communities of color are not being over-policed, over-criminalized? And how are we going to make sure that, you know, particularly for me, that women, because I just came back from a women's prison in Washington state. How are we going to make sure that uh, women and people who are uh, breadwinners of their families are actually able to take care of their families when they come out of incarceration? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. people can't get on, uh, you know, government assistance. You can't get food stamps if you have a uh, drug-related offense. That's problematic. But you know, I don't think these candidates are going to be talking about that today. And I think a lot of people are affected by that issue. All right. So, Eric, you know, you spent a lot of time looking at the media. How culpable has the media been in creating the madness that has been election 2016? <laughs> well, that's a whole separate show right there. But, you know, obviously, <laughs> obviously there's, there's, they play a huge role, right? I mean, yeah. so we had the head of CNN, uh, Zucker, this week or last week at a forum and saying, well... 
you know, I wouldn't do anything different, but I guess if we did, you know, if we made one small mistake, we wouldn't have aired all those rallies live. You know, we, should, we shouldn't have taken all those Trump rallies live during the primary. What is CNN doing to this day, every day? They take every take Trump rally, rally live. That's right. That's right. So it, 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 it's like a beyond an addiction. They see it, they know the problem, and they can't and won't stop. So, look, the press has so many problems with this coverage. Uh, and, you know, will there be any kind of self-reflection in, in four or five weeks? I'm not sure. But we do know that uh, Trump has completely bullied the press. We know that the, the journalists are under attack at these rallies, mm-hmm. uh, being rained down with profanities and threats. They're locked in these metal press pens. This has been going on for a year. And, you know, right. and the news That's organizations... Right. Never really summoned up any courage to take any collective take action and push back and say, you know what, this is not how a candidate treats the press. So it, it's been so many problems, and, and, and Trump has exposed so many fault lines within uh, the campaign press. I, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to recover, recover, honestly. So Preston and Carmen and Eric are definitely going to have to have you back because there's just way too much to talk about. But 30 seconds what is your hope? Because let's leave on a positive. What's your hope for 2016? Uh, my hope for 2016 is a less criminalized black LGBT community. Mm-hmm. Um, more conversations about the role that police have against um, ag- um, of acts of violence against black people. My hope is that we will stop killing black women, black trans women. Um, and, and really that black, queer, and trans people can find a light of so a So Carmen, way. I'm going to have to bring you back no so problem. you can give me your Thank hope. You this me. is Michelle Jawando, Leslie Marshall Show. We love you. We'll be back next week. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, Grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love. How to show up with Coca-Cola Energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.